Um, if you were with us on last Sunday, we got to celebrate Jesus is alive. Uh, we're not just celebrating the resurrection. We're celebrating that he is alive and alive forevermore. And everything that we do here today is a celebration that Jesus is here. Uh, we're not serving a God who we're trying to approach from afar. He is here in this room with us. That for me is so exciting that I am not just wasting hours on a Sunday morning trying to come and do a religious service. I'm just so glad that that's not what we do here. We're here to meet with the living God. So can we just um, bow our heads quickly, give our attention and say, Lord, you are the most important person in this room. When we bow our heads, typically in church, okay, just sorry, before you, before you bow your head, I want you to understand why we're doing this. Okay, because some of us have grown up in different kinds of church. The reason we bow our heads in prayer is an acknowledgement of his position over our lives. Okay, to say that you are the most important person here. So I bow my head to say everything that I hold as my ideals and my thoughts, I bow it before you. Okay, this is a sign of respect. It's a sign of honor. So as we pray, I just want you to know this isn't a religious thing we're trying to do. We're trying to say, Lord, we honor you and we invite your teaching. I want you to speak to me. Can we do that? All right, now we can bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our lives. We thank you that you are here today to teach us, to lead us, to guide us. So Lord, we, we acknowledge your presence as the most important person in this room. Lord, and we're here to hear what you have to say to your church. We're not here to listen to what I have to say. Lord, I ask that the words of my mouth, Lord God, would be something that speaks life. Lord, from your heart to the hearts of those who are called by your name. So Lord, I ask that there would be a breaking through of life this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, or wait, before that, my name is Judah, okay? Sometimes I forget to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Judah. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm just so glad that um, you've been taking this time to come and be with us here this morning. Um, for those of you who are online, if you go back, this is a two-part series that we were doing from last week and this week. Uh, so if you, if you missed last week, I would definitely go and check that out. So if you're in this room too, and you weren't able to join us last week, go check that out. Because some of the things I'm saying today are on the heels of that. So we were talking about God making all things new. And this comes from Revelation, but it's also in the Old Testament. You see this refrain. But in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 5, he says, Behold, I make all things new. And that verse is right at the end of the story, as it were. So we are in the midst of a story that's being written, and a story that God already knows every single page, every single chapter, every single line. And we're in the midst of it, but he is the one, right at the end, he says, I want you to understand, I'm making all things new. And in the verses just after that, in Revelation chapter 21, verse 10, he says, and it is done. It's done. It's finished. And all of this is on the heels of the work that Jesus did when he came as the light, right from Genesis chapter 1. But when he came on the stage of human history as a man taking the form of a servant, 
He went to the cross for you and for me. Why is that significant? Because it wasn't a contest. We covered this last week. It wasn't a contest with the devil. The devil wasn't the anti-God who he had to fight with and somehow get past. Sin and darkness separated us from a God who loves us. And in his heart, he purposed to be with us, to have communion with us. So last week when we celebrated communion, I, I asked you to think about it this way. The union you have with Jesus is something that he wanted from the beginning. So when Jesus comes and lays down his life, he's saying, I want you to be reconciled to God. Do you hear that word reconciled? That word reconciled simply means come back into union. Come back into a place where we have unity. Come back into a place where we have harmony. Christian marriages were meant to display or be a shadow of an ex expression of this amazing union. How two very different people, people who have nothing in common, he says, I have joined you to myself. Everything I have is yours. So when we look at the work of Jesus, sometimes we feel like we're attaining to some of it. We're trying to get there. And he says, no, you're either part of my family and we go by one name or we're two. There's no in-between. You're either, your last name is either Jesus, to put it in a simpler terms. You're either known by the family of Jesus or you're not. You're just known by who you are. And I will take you through scripture to show you this. But the point of him making things new was not that he would just refurbish. You know how when your computer or your phone or, you know, all these devices that we have and we're trying to get for cheaper? Where do you look first? The refurb market, right? You try and look for a good refurb and say, okay, that's a decent one. This will do. Does it do the job? Sure. But that is not what the Christian life is. The Christian life is not a refurbishment of a person who could have been good, but then got really bad, so we're trying to get him back to a place where he looks good. Do you understand? The work that Jesus did is something that is completely new, and I went into that a lot last week. The new that we're talking about is not neos, it is kainos. These are two different Greek words, which the Bible uses. And why am I going through this? It's not to get all deep into Greek. It's because I want you to understand that it, when we read our English Bibles, we just see the words and we just skip past them because it looks like the same word. It's new, 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 new. New is written all over the Bible. But they're different words. So we're not just talking about a new set of ideals. He's saying, I am making something entirely new. So when we see this word, you have been made new. This comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Okay? I just want you to pin that in your Bible or in your notes just so that you have it for yourself. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they have been made new. They are a new creation altogether. And the words there in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, say, the old has passed away Behold, the new 
has come. Now, how new do you feel? I'm just asking a question. How new do you feel today? Sitting here, how new do you feel? How awesome do you feel? And that is the problem because we in, in our daily life, we're so used to looking at ourselves in the mirror and going, ugh, yeesh, you know? Like, and like I started off, like we're at the start of summer pretty much and we're like, oh boy, we either have to go shopping or there's something that's going to drastically change. There's that feeling of, oh man, here we go, you know? That sense of, I'm not new. I don't feel brand new. But what does the scripture say? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, are you in Christ? Yes. yes. Okay. If you are in Christ, that when we say that phrase, we mean, I have put my faith in Jesus. I believe that he died for my sin and that he was raised from the dead to give me life. That's what I'm saying when I say in Christ. Okay. If anyone is in Christ, what are you? Okay, all right, I'm still tracking with you. We're a new creation. I get it. Must be figurative, I guess. What does it say after that? You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Can I have that verse up? The old has passed away. And what? Now, didn't I just say from Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, he says, Behold, I make all things new and when is that at the end of the story are we at the end of the story so how can now how can it be both of those things how can it be that we're not yet at a place where we see everything made new remember we sang that song last week is is he worthy do we see the world is broke we do and all of that do we really wish that we could all be made new and all of that what is scripture telling us here it's saying it's a something that's already happened how can it have already have happened and not yet happened? So that's what I, what I want to unpack today. Because when we see these sorts of things in Scripture, we kind of get confused a little bit and we feel like we're playing at two different things. So, today I want to really talk through what being made new really means. So to start us off, I want us to go back to Romans chapter 6. That's where we were last week, right? So last week we were in Romans chapter 6, and it says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue sinning that grace may, be ab- may abound? So if we have been joined to Jesus, and grace has been given to us, we talked about justification, being brought back to a place where we are even. There is no penalty outstanding in our account. There is no collections in our name. Our credit score is not getting a hit because of some crazy medical bill that never got paid. Do you you understand? It's that kind of thing. Justification is being brought back to a place where you're completely whole. There is nothing in your, nothing against you. You've been justified by faith in Jesus. So does that mean now you can just keep on sinning because you have been extended this great place of peace with God? No, by no means. How can we who died to sin, see that word there, died to sin, still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? 
We were buried, therefore, by, with him into a baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in, circle this in your Bible, in newness of life. And that word new is not reformed. It's not refurbished. It is brand new. It's not, it's not like saying, let me make you a better man or a better woman. It's a completely new kind of life. I will unpack that a little bit more later. For if we have been, here's that word, united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified. This is why it's so important. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Being dead to sin is not just conceptual. It is a reality. When Jesus died, I died. When Jesus rose to life, I rose to new life. The thing is, we look at ourselves in the mirror. What do you see? I see an almost 40-year-old. A guy who really needs to work out on certain areas physically, definitely needs to work out on a whole areas mentally, and spiritually, there are things that I have deeper to go. That's what I see. But over here it says, if I was dead to sin, the things that I'm still working through, I have a posture of, I don't belong to that person anymore. I have been made New. So I want to unpack that a little bit more so that you don't get confused. So for that purpose, you didn't think I was just this thirsty, right? Okay. So I wanted to put this out here so that you see it. Okay? Now, we are all people who are used to functioning on the basis. Imagine this is the guy in the mirror. Okay? They all look the same, right? But you are, you're a person who has a body that dictates a lot of who you are. We have sickness. We have just, we grow old. We have all kinds of things that attack this guy. But right at the beginning, when Adam and Eve together decided to choose their own light, what was the problem with the tree in the, in the center of the garden? That you become the arbiters of good and evil. God was more than prepared to share what was good and what wasn't good with them. But they said, we will take it into our own hands. So we become the arbiters of good and evil. So then what they saw to be right and what they saw to be good, what they saw to be worthy or unworthy started to dictate how their life was lived. Now, the, the moment you do that, he says, there is a separation that is caused from God 
because you have chosen your own way. So now when we talk about sin, we often talk about something bad. We talk about something gross. But the problem is sin has got that title simply from bad things we see in the world, right? What is Vegas? What do we call it? Sin City. Why do we call it Sin City? Because it looks gross stuff out. Like, why would you think that way? Because you're used to certain neon-based signs or certain big poster things to be sin. But sin is anything that separates you from the life of God. Now, we have been made body, soul, and spirit. I want to take you to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. This is right through Scripture, but over here you see it clearly put together. Now, may the God of peace, the God who brought you to peace, remember in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we said, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we now have peace with God. So this peace that God has given us with him, God is no longer against us. I am not against God. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. We set ourselves up against God. And God says, why are you doing that? I'm actually for you. Why are you standing up against me saying, I want to make the decision here? It's not God who wanted to kick them out. We said we, would, we prefer our own way. Do you get that? Sometimes when we, when we read these narratives and we're told Sunday school stories and all of that, we feel like God was waiting for someone to flinch and then shoot them. Do you get that? Those are some of the things that are in the back of our mind when we talk about sin. But God's heart was to reconcile people, to have union with them. And we said, no, God, no thanks. I'll make a decision on that. So that separation caused us to fall short. So separation from God is what we call sin. Anything that separates you from God is sin. In your marriage, choosing not to love your spouse is sin. Choosing not to lay down your life is sin. We're not just talking about sexuality and gender and abortion. We're not talking about all these big hot button issues. I'm talking about something as simple as if you choose to harbor an offense and not release forgiveness, that is sin. That's how seriously Jesus takes it. So, what is sin? Anything that causes a disunity from the union that I've been called to. Anything that separates me from God is sin. So in Scripture we see, 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you. That word sanctify means to make right and set apart. Sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God wants you to be a whole person. Do you see that? Not a half person, a whole person. So what happened in the garden is we were separated, and the part of us that was meant for union with God, that directly had the life of God coursing through us, and that is what we call our spirit, was dead. So we'll knock this guy over. Okay? So I want you to see this from Scripture. 
that now what we were left with was a dead, silenced place of union with God, a place of union that we enjoyed without trying. You did not have to try to be united to God. You had union with God. So what ended up happening is we became soulish beings. Humanity for all these generations has seen what is fit. Our soul is the part of us that decides things, that thinks, that feels, our personality. The Bible word there is the word psyche, or suke, which is the Greek word, but where we get the word psyche from, where we get psychology from. We get all of these words from this Greek word, which has to do with your personhood. What is it that defines your personality? Your feelings, your emotions, your thoughts, your deciding, your will. So we did what was right in our own eyes. Does that make sense? Do you see that from scripture? So we were people who, who led the way where your body kind of was along for the ride. So this was pretty much a shell. There, it's empty. Okay? It had nothing inside of it of value except being a, a shell that was now what? Since the garden, condemned to mortality. This thing was going to go into the dirt one of these days. So you're carrying this guy around. But who's doing the show? Who's running the show? This guy. Because he says, I know what's right. I know what I need. I look with my eyes, my physical eyes, and I like what I see. So I'm going to take what I see. This is the story of humanity, and we have constantly, we've felt that there was something over here. This is what we call in, hum, in, in human discourse, what we call the God, the God place in your, somewhere, something's missing, where you say, I'm searching for something, humanity has searched for it, we try to look for a connection with the divine, we are looking for things in the air and the spiritual and creation. There is something that's beating that says there was something there. I was attached to something. But it's missing. When Jesus came, so now when you read verses like, now let's read Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And it says, and you were, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So when you hear dead, what is it? This guy. Now, because you and I, I'm looking at you. You look very alive to me. Do you, do you see the problem we have? Every time we look at each other in the mirror, we're like, well, I'm not dead. We do a lot of stuff we know is not in keeping with God's law. Why am I not dead dead? Because this part of you was separated from the life of God. So when he says, you were dead in your trespasses and sins, I want you to read it as your spirit, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of this air. Those two words, prince and power, have to do with principalities, that is to do with a superseding power, and then the underlying spirits that come under it. 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Why? Because they're led by their soul. Anything that comes to their mind is so easily swayed and can be led astray. Among whom we all lived, look at this, look at this phrase here, living according to the passions of our flesh. Whatever your body wanted, you would say, hey, you need some of that. So just give it to yourself. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature. Do you see? What were we following? Our body and? Look at what it says there. Carrying out the desires of the body and? We were people by nature now. What was human nature? So if you were to say, what is human nature? It is your soul body. By human nature, we were children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, like everybody else that followed after Adam and Eve. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved these very people, these soulish beings who said no to God and said, we will go our own way, we will make our decisions, we are God. I am God. If you look around you today, one of the biggest problems we have in society is not that there are different religions. It's just that we are a religion to ourselves. I will please myself and I make myself the most high. This is not just out there in the world. In the church, this has crept into this Christian kind of thinking that says, I need to do what is right for me. So then this next verse says, but even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive. Do you see that? You were made to be a whole person. Just, I mean, this is so unique in how God is, because again, God is Father, Son, and Spirit. How do you see that these are three different unique persons, but at the same time, one person? God designed us the same way. The problem is we got so used to living like this. And he says, while you were dead in your trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So now we have a spirit that union with God is not something I'm trying for. Do you hear me? In the garden, union with God was not something they were trying for. The simple lie that they believed was, did God really say? Did he really say that you would die? If you know? Because he anyway shares all this stuff with you. So you think like, I mean, really is it an issue if you make a decision or two? He is John chapter 1, verse 4. Let's go there quickly. In him was life. And this life was the light of all mankind. I'm not going to go too much into the, into the way of light and why God wants light to be there in your everyday living. 
He wanted you to see who he was. He wanted you to see truth for what it is. And I'm not talking about just Bible verses. I'm talking about to perceive clearly who he is. He wanted you to have that. He raised us up and seated us together with Jesus. And he says, I want this life coursing in you. This is not something you try for. And this is where I really want to go back to. It is not something that you can just adjust by discipleship classes, a new membership thing, being baptized, going to a going through a dedication. These are things that are done when Jesus turns the light on. Where you by faith say, I see the need for a savior. I have, choos- I have chosen my way for so long. I repent. And he says, you have been made alive. Now, you have a new nature. So this is no longer your nature. Do you see that? So in Romans chapter 6 when he says, the he who has died to sin is dead. So now stop trying to live according to this guy. You have been made alive. If you were united with him in his death, guess what? When you came out, you came out with a new nature. You do not have only human nature. That is something that we're so used to saying. John chapter 3 verse 6, and this is... Jesus hammers this in. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is? He's not mixing metaphors here. He's not saying you can have some of this, some of that. He's like, if it is born of the spirit, it is spirit. It cannot be a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Do not marvel when I say to you, and this is Jesus talking. Do not marvel when I say this to you. You must be. Now, this is not just some Pentecostal or Baptist kind of, like in in, in America or in in some of the Western nations, it became like a catchphrase. Are you a born again? Are you a born again? Like as if that was your title. While that might have been something that got trivialized over time, this is crucial Because unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus Jesus just plainly says that. It's because you're so used to living your life like this, as just this two-part being where you understand what you need to understand, and I'm going to live according to whatever seems good. Which is why the pantheistic religions of the world looks for goodness. And let goodness lead the way. What seems right? What seems kind? What seems generous? And guess what? We've got our new world religion. It's whatever you want to make it out to be, however much you want it to be. And then God comes along and says, no, no, no. We can't mix things here. Even though what Christ does is kind, is generous, has a lot of the hallmarks that you would think, oh, it's kind of like the same thing. It isn't. It is not. Because we are so used to mixing things in the world, we think, you know, same difference. That guy's being kind, I'm being kind. No, 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 no. 
It's a different kind of fruit. He says, your spirit has been made alive to God. And he says, it is spirit that takes precedence now. Because this is who I communicate with. This is the vessel that I made for my dwelling place. The problem is we want God to dwell here. We want our best life now, there. We want him to fix my broken body first. We want him to fix the fact that my wife did something or my, you know, so I, I can't deal with her. We want all the situations in our life to get fixed rather than say, you have designed me for your presence. There is an encounter that is waiting for me, but I refuse to enter in. Why? Because I want to enter in through these gates. I want my soul to be satisfied first. I want my, my, my body to be healed first. And he says, come and meet with me. Okay, I'll go into this a little bit more. 2 Corinthians 5 when we see that passage, the new has come, he's talking about this new birth. The old has to pass away. You cannot be tethered to being partly, I'm just me. You cannot give that cop-out kind of like clause for when you fail, I guess I'm only human. Do you understand? Do, do, you, do you remember how kind of I, I watched it back the other, the other day, and I was like, ooh, man, I kind of got a bit too excited there. Why I fundamentally have a problem with us calling ourselves sinners? It's not that I don't agree that we fall short. It's not that I don't agree that we, we are sinful. But your nature has been changed. So every time I do sin, it is a choice I make. The problem is we say, no, I didn't make that choice. God made me do it. Mm-mm. My body made me do it. Mm-mm. If you have been made alive to God, you have an encounter waiting for you on the table at all times of the day, night, when you're in your good days, when you're in your bad days, whether something has changed, whether something's not changed. You always have an encounter with the living God right there. We say, but my situation screwy so i think that's what i'm going to talk about right we would much rather talk about my brokenness do you understand there's nothing wrong with brokenness except wholeness is right here that we talk about brokenness why because we're looking at our frame we're looking at the struggles that we go through and we and god says i am making things new but the new has come You're waiting for heaven. You're waiting for something in the sweet by and by. He's like, I did not want to leave you stranded. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, when you see God in this age, it seems like if God saved me, why did he not just beam me up? Why do I have to go through all this crap? How many of you would wish that we didn't have to go through off of this stuff? Right? But he says, Don't think for a moment that God is being, he's playing a game with you. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, it says very clearly, God in his forbearance is making room that many might come to repentance. 
the same gift that you have, his heart breaks he seeing people in darkness. So this window that we call the age of grace, since Jesus said it is finished on the cross to the point that we are at today, how many more days before the Son of Man returns? I don't know. But he has made time that many, just like you and me sitting here today, might hear and say, I've chosen my way for too long. I humble myself that I might be made alive. I don't have to wait for the sweet by and by. And until then, he says, I'm going to give you my spirit who will live within you and commune with your spirit so that you have a guarantee of what's to come. I don't want you just fumbling around like an orphan. Someone who says, I need a family. I need a home. And God says, I put you in my family. You are mine. Let no one ever say to you, you're a weirdo who's somewhere out there. You're mine. You belong to me. I will provide for every single need you have. But Lord, what about my body? I will help you there too. But Lord, what about my mind? I'm so anxious. I'm so depressed. I will help you there too. But brokenness does not define me. The verse that we read earlier, perfect love casts out fear in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. Just a few verses down. By this, love is perfected with us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because as he is, so also we are in this world. You walk in the same life that Jesus has. He didn't leave you with some subpower, substandard. Well, I hope you guys figure it out by the time I come back. It wasn't one of those. Mm -hmm. He says, no, I want my spirit to be with you so that you actually see what I have given you freely. I've freely given you things and I want you to understand them. So, just so that you see this clearly, we have a body that is guided by a soul, a decision maker that makes decisions, that chooses things. Romans chapter 8 says, for the mind that is set on the spirit is life and peace. Don't know where that is? Romans chapter 8. Let's just go to Romans chapter 8. And let me just quickly read through verses 2 through 5, just so that you see the context. For God did what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the form of sinful flesh, he condemned sin in the flesh. So sin was condemned through what Jesus went through in his body. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh. We don't live according to this guy anymore. Who do we live according to? The work of the spirit that we were designed for. That is capital S spirit that has now made us alive small s spirit to God. So now your spirit has a communion with God. So the very presence of the living God can speak into your life. For those who live according to their flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. 
But those who set their minds on the Spirit live according to? Do you see how pretty basic this seems? But where is the hinge? This middle guy, right? We often choose to talk about this guy a lot. My brokenness, my anxiety, my depression. Are any of those things unimportant? No, very important. But I choose to let these things be informed by the work of the Spirit. Does that mean I suddenly snap my fingers, do the Dorothy foot clap, and then suddenly everything's gone? No. There are things I'm going to have to walk through. Some things are painful. Some things are a big struggle. But guess what? This is not my home. I have been bought with a price. I no longer live for myself. All these verses start to make sense because I'm no longer trying to save this guy. I'm no longer trying to save my body. I'm not trying to add another year of life. I'm not trying to see whether I make out well in retirement. That is not my ultimate goal. Do I want to have a decent life? Sure. But if I don't have a decent life, and I'm put in the middle of a war zone, and I have people taking my family away from me, my hope is not in this place. I've been made alive to God. I cannot be threatened by death. That is why Jesus went through that. Death is not a frontier that scares me anymore. Now, this is something that I want to commend to each of you. Consider this carefully. How much of a hold does the fear of death have over you? Sitting here, I'm, I'm telling you this as someone who had to go through this gauntlet a few years ago. When I got a wife and I started to have children, one of the things that used to wake me up in sweat was, what if I don't have the time to take care of my family the way I want to take care of my family? What if I don't do enough? It used to keep me up. Why? Because I wanted to have this little conversation right here. And God says, there's an encounter for you right now. So whether I live to be 38, 39, 40, and nothing more, I would have lived a full life. Why? Because my life comes from the spirit, not my body. Do you understand? Which is why when it says, Stephen, you know, we just went through the book of Acts, where Stephen laid down his life. He says, I see the Lord. There was an encounter with God that my current life is not worth trying to save. My current happiness, my current comfort is not worth trying to chase over in a frantic pace. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you. And guess what? He can also give life and he can revive and energize this failing body. This body that must see death, that must be sown into the ground. Some of us will not see that death. Some of us might even be here when Jesus returns. Who knows? I've asked God. I was like, I was like Lord, it'll just be cool just to watch what... I want to be around if that happens. But 
I was like, even if it's not, I am not concerned about my tomorrow, not because I'm some careless person, but because my hope is settled with God. But in the in-between, he wants your mind to be transformed. That Greek word there is, can be used as the word transform or transfigured, changed and completely metamorphed. That's the word metamorphosis, right? Have you heard the word metamorphosis? It's how we often describe butterflies. Does the pupa look anything like the butterfly? Does the caterpillar, caterpillar look anything like the butterfly? So do you see when we are talking about the kind of new God is making, we're not talking about another little ball-looking shape. We're talking about a butterfly here. That's the kind of transformation he is after. And that transformation, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, let's finish here. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and blameless. This is an acceptable sacrifice to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. When you present your body to the Lord, saying, Lord, Everything that I am, all of my faculties, everything that I have, everything that I don't have figured out, even if there are places in me that I'm like, I'm struggling, right? It's good to acknowledge when you're struggling, to say, Lord, I bring it to you in view of what Jesus has done as a perfect offering. In the Jewish system of sacrifice, you could not offer anything that had a blemish. Anything that had even a spot could not be offered. But I come to Jesus and say, Lord, I bring to you myself, knowing that you have made me perfect. Do you understand? You're not coming because of something you've done. I come because of what you have done. This is your spiritual act of worship. What does it continue to say? So don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. That word conformed is this kind of like, get caught in the scheme, into the, into the, role, into the patterns of this world. The way it just operates, it just keeps going. That, but, be, but be transformed, be metamorphosized. That's the word there, that's the actual Greek word there. Be metamorphed by the renewal of your mind. So this guy needs to be taught what salvation is. You have been saved by God through faith. But this guy needs to be taught how to walk that way. Our mind, unfortunately, is so weak at times. Which is why you see Jesus is not flippant with that when he had the person come up to him saying, Lord, help my unbelief. Help the places where I'm struggling. I don't know how to get this right. He says, I will help. But all I'm asking you to do is turn and yield to the work of the Spirit. When you turn to the work of the Spirit, he says, your spirit can inform what happens in your mind. And when what happens in your mind is transformed, guess what? By that testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and what is acceptable and perfect. What happened in the garden? What did we try and steal? The ability to choose what is good and perfect and acceptable. Do you see that? When your mind is transformed, 
God says, I give you the right to know what my heart is and correctly judge what is good. Correctly judge what is acceptable. This was my heart for you right from the garden. But we fell away from that and he says, I want your soul redeemed. And there is coming a day when we will receive a new body. But until then, we carry this guy around. Guess what? When we are raised up on that final day, you get a new one of these. You don't have to worry about this guy anymore. Serve the Lord with a humility that says, Lord, let the work of the Spirit work its way right through me. That I'm not hindered by my body. I'm not hindered by the weakness of my mind at times. I humble myself. So if there's one decision that this guy has to make, I want you to make this decision today. Lord, even if I don't understand everything that Judah just said, it seemed like a lot. I don't know if I got exactly what this whole thing is about. I'm willing to do this one thing. Holy Spirit, I turn and I yield myself to the work you can do in me. The places that I lack, the places that I don't see myself living up to the standard of what God has called me to, I'm not going to do it in my effort. I refuse to do it by what I think is good. Renew my mind. Renew the way, transform the way I think that I might walk with you. Amen? Lord, we thank you for the work of your Spirit. Lord, and for places that we need to unpack more. Lord, I ask that you, by your Holy Spirit, would sit with us and teach us. Work us through, Lord God, the, the way that you have caused this salvation to work. Lord, that we might walk in newness of life. Lord, and we just want to thank you this morning, Lord, for the, the two babies in our midst, Lord God, these two newborns. Lord, we thank you for Ezra. We thank you for Ruby, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the work of new life. So, Lord, we ask in these households too, Lord, that your ministry, Lord God, of life would be seen. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, and for anyone in this room or anyone watching, Lord God, who is struggling in their bodies, we speak wholeness not because we have the ability to command these things, but because of the work that you have accomplished. So Lord, we ask for life to be at work in these mortal bodies. Lord, that we would see a regeneration and a quickening of things that are wasting away. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.